Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about Frankenstein builds and how they come to be, the CyberPower PC Zeus Mini, and we look at the LAN ETS livestream. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McCain. It's been a long time since we've talked about my AMD build. Well, maybe not that long. No, it's been a couple of months. But just as a refresher, I bought and built my daughter a gaming PC. And we went with an AMD unit for cost, and we talked quite a bit about that in a previous podcast. Mm -hmm. But we found that my daughter's encountering a little bit of bottlenecking moving in and out of games, specifically Dungeon Defenders. Yeah, which is one of your favorite games, which obviously now the kids are going to be favorites. Yeah, and it's a great game for dead sticking or bringing in kids and kind of babysitting them in game. And if you have kids that are younger, I'm sure you've experienced that, where they're, quote, playing the game with you and you're, quote, keeping them from having a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> I think you talked about Skylanders being the same way. Your character would get tired and then you just put another one on. And the, the way you combat that is you buy more figures. When we built the machine, we were budget conscious, and we built it in part from some pieces that we had laying around. So as a refresher, we have a quad-core A6 AMD processor on a actually really nice FM2 MSI motherboard, and we are running a Barracuda 1.5 terabyte, a Corsair 780 with a actually pretty nice Samsung Blu-ray drive, and it's water-cooled. Because, you know, if you've got one, use it. Well, yeah. It's a, what, Sidon unit from Coolmaster? It is. It's a beautiful. Now, it's the it's the baby. It's the little guy. But it's good enough for this PC by far. Oh, yeah. And we've got, uh, what is it, 4 gigs of HyperX memory in it. Nice yeah. 2133 stuff. Mm -hmm. So as far as uh, what I'd say is not necessarily off-the-shelf parts, but more of out-of-the-lab parts, not a bad box. Yeah, and you were talking about the Corsair power supply that was in it yes and didn't you just recently change that yes tonight we finally had an opportunity to take out a couple of the pieces parts that had been bothering me one was i had a 7870 in it which is huge huge overkill and none of the games that my daughter plays required that much horsepower so it was going to waste and it's going to find a new home <laughs> so we downgraded her into a 5970 that I picked up in another trade. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you like to wheel and deal on hardware, that's for sure. Yeah, well, it was kind of doing a favor for a buddy picking it up and helping him upgrade into a nicer one. But my thought was that I could crossfire this particular video card with that A6 processor, and it turned out that, sadly, it's still too nice for that. Well, the internal GPU on those processors is... Supports DirectX 11 right. from a technology standpoint, but is no more powerful than something you'd find in a laptop. And I was really kind of excited about cross-firing it, and it will cross-fire with a lot of the older processors in the 5600 range. And I thought it was like 777. And the 777 is actually the newest one it will cross-fire with. Yeah. But who wants to spend 60 or 80 bucks on one of those? Well, yeah, and it's like you're not going to be able to use it for anything else, mm -hmm. and... From a performance standpoint and also a cost standpoint, you might as well just spend the 150 and get something in that range. You know, you can get a nice uh, GTX, probably a 650 tie boost or something like that in that range. And So my big fancy video card goes back to the lab for fun and games with lightnings and other exciting projects to be named later. 
And while I was in there, the Corsair, the 480, which is probably the cheapest power supply that I would recommend, I think I got it after rebate for less than 20 bucks. Wow, 20 bucks for a power supply. But name brand, Corsair. Yeah. But it turned out that it was loud as crap and <laughs> connector limited, so it had to go. Yeah, well, you get what you pay for, that's for sure. Well, yeah, and to be fair, I've always liked Corsair power supplies, but their lower-end stuff is really starting to show that it's lower-end stuff. I think we talked about this before. Corsair, mm -hmm. they build their products using their enthusiast name to actually help sell them. Mm -hmm. But then they always highlight the, the Halo products, the, the super high-end stuff. Yes, which is fantastic. Yeah, really expensive stuff. So people don't necessarily buy it unless they are buying into the enthusiast name. Mm -hmm. Now, you also have the, the Workhorse products, which is the mainstream down market stuff. Right. The Builder Series, I believe. And... They can't um, make a lot of money unless they cut a few corners. And, you know, that happens in every sort of segment. So, so. the 480 has already gone to version 2, which I would have bought if I had seen one. But I had the opportunity to put a pretty nice unit in there. So I bought a Be Quiet Pure Power 500 watt, which is a really pretty impressive 500 watt unit. And it's fully modular, right? It is. And I'm going to say with the Be Quiet name, it is... Super duper quiet. Oh, yeah. Dun, makes, dun, dun. makes virtually no noise at all. I think we did a sound test with that one, too, didn't we? Where it didn't even register on your meter. We did. And to be fair, I should correct myself. This is not a fully modular unit at this level. You have to actually get up over 600 watts. Oh, yeah, that's right. So this is a good one, but it does support entry-level crossfire and SLI. So it's got more expandability than the 480. And didn't require me to use splitters to run some of my fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have, uh, I think, three fan headers on that motherboard, which is really good for a low-end motherboard. Yeah. And uh, and this is, a, what is it, a micro or a mini? Yeah, it's a micro ATX. Micro ATX, so it's little, and it fits really nice in the case. A bit of overkill. But what did we discover? We did not fix the bottleneck. No. So what we did was... Um, in Dungeon Defenders, the situation was you'd start the game, you would tab out so that you could invite somebody else into your game. When you tab back in, there is, I'm going to say, 45 seconds, and this is a long time in a game. Oh, yeah. It seems like not a lot, but there's about 45 seconds of lag where you just get a blank screen before the game loads again. So I'm sure you can imagine my four-year-old son and my eight-year-old daughter just freaked out because that's an eternity for an eight-year-old. And also, the timeout was very frustrating because we'd have to make multiple attempts to join the game. That's also a problem with little kids because they have a tension problem. But anyway, I thought I would talk about the progress. We also tried some really expensive RAM to see if there was a RAM bottleneck. Yeah, well, it, it was 4 to 8 gigs, basically, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and good Dominator RAM. Overkill, again, no effect. So really, we're left looking at potentially the processor and maybe the video card, but since we've already had a much nicer video card in there, yeah, there's not going to be much impact. Yeah. Processor, being that this is an FM2 Plus system, mm -hmm. the processor is inherently low power and also low, well, low power. So options are to move up to an A8 or an A10, mm -hmm. which supports a stronger onboard video card if you're going to use it. Right. But also improves your throughput time, better memory management, and, of course, faster. Yeah. Well, I hope that we can actually get that 
bottleneck solved, you know, and we do have the A10 in the lab. I'll let you borrow and you right. can see if that actually peps it up. And if it doesn't, then maybe we'll be looking at like an SSD or maybe a RAM drive or something like that. So all this is kind of interesting speculation, but it's led us to talk a little bit about how machines become, well, Frankenstein builds for lack of a better term. Okay. And for the people that don't know, what would you say a Frankenstein build is? A Frankenstein build is essentially just like you would think from the movie and the story of Frankenstein. That is that you're building machine out of discarded parts that you might have around the house. So dead-end parts or stuff that would be maybe binned if you had no other use for it, but you're repositioning it by pieces parting it into a full machine. And any of us that have built our old machines over periods of time have established these piles of Frankenstein parts if we're not very good at moving products. Yeah, and another way to look at it would be the upgrade mentality. Yes. You start with a, a common build where you just kind of buy all your parts and you put it together. Six months down the road, you swap out video cards. So now you have a mismatched video card from what your build was. And now you determine, oh, it's time for a new processor upgrade. So you swap the processor. Now, this is an inherent part of being a home builder. You have probably what you'd say is your ideal build. Maybe it's your equivalent of a lottery winning house or a supercar, but you just can't afford it. So you make all kinds of design decisions. And we've talked about this in the past, but it's especially prevalent in a budget build, especially a budget gaming build. Right. Now there's also different aspects of a Frankenstein build because we have the budget storage system that you build up over time. And then you have a completely mismatched sort of system. And I'm reminded of something that I saw on Facebook posted by EVGA that went <laughs> to an online gamer by the name of Melanie Mack. Oh, Melanie. Cute gamer girl. World needs more gamer girls, that's for sure. Yeah. So she did a video on basically upgrading her PC. We'll have to link you to it. It's definitely worth a view. It reminded me of how mismatched a system can go together based off of either parts that you have, parts that you acquire, or parts that you are, you know, for lack of another term, given. Or if you are not that knowledgeable, just bad budget decisions. In her case, uh, she had a nice Corsair case, full tower case, and put in a mini ITX motherboard. <laughs> Which is an amazing. Great for airflow. Yeah, great for airflow. All that was powered by a 1,500-watt classified power supply from EVGA. Fantastic power supply. Fantastic. She mentioned that there was um, some cable management options in that Corsair case, and I'll let you see in the video if she actually used those. So. However, since she had a gigantic EVGA heatsink and a little tiny motherboard, I don't know that airflow is necessarily going to be an issue. No. And all in all, the, the system that she put together was extremely good in terms of hardware. I mean, the, the little Stinger Z87 motherboards from right. EVGA, fully featured, and they're actually one of the more expensive boards that you can buy, yeah. but they have just about everything on board. The limiting factor there is that you only get two RAM slots, and you only get one video card slot or expansion slot. Not necessarily a Frankenstein machine because she's resurrecting parts, but because she's just gotten miscellaneous pieces, parts from her sources around there. And more power to her, honestly. We'd all love getting free parts. Oh, yeah. And her machine is going to be a screamer, so no disrespect. And I think when you see the video, it's a good-looking machine. But this is how Frankenstein builds come together, even in the review environment, which, which can be challenging because when you're putting pieces, parts together as they come in, 
you never know what you're going to end up with. No. Now, that also brings us to what happens if you buy an off-the-shelf system? Do you look at something from like a Dell manufacturer or do you go to a boutique builder that actually assembles these parts that normally be somewhat used for Frankenstein build and puts them together in a great system? Well, I know that in the past, I've been known to recommend an off-the-shelf system that's a little bit higher end, like a Dell XPS system, for example, and then taking the money that you save and pumping it into the performance parts that matter, which most often is the video card. Right. Now, if you could go to a boutique builder, you can spend the same amount of money and get a really rocking system, kind of like one that uh, I just reviewed. Yeah, and in fact, I find it amazing, and it might be a bit because of the competition out there, that boutique builders have actually reached the point where I feel comfortable recommending them price-wise. We've always liked the components. It's very similar to something that I would choose and build myself, but fully tested, fully integrated before they go out the door for not much more than your Dell Premium System. And you get the operating system, which is one thing that people don't factor into their budget or their budgets when they put together a system on their own. That's very true. Some people don't need an operating system, but that is now, uh, you know, it can be a $100 plus purchase. Oh, yeah. So the system that we're talking about, though, is the Zeus Mini from CyberPower PC. Now, we've talked about in the last podcast the trend towards smaller builds. And the Zeus, I think, is a pretty good example of that in the real world. Would you say it's a, a bookshelf unit? Not well, it's kind of like a bookshelf unit. It's, um, it's a small form factor. I'm going to say that, well, and I put this in the review, it's about the size of an old VCR. And then, of course, I said, what's a VCR? Which, <laughs> you know, for some of the younger listeners slash viewers out there, you may not know what one of those is, but um, Darren and I kind of grew up around those things. Flashing 12, you know how that goes. Oh, flashing 12. <laughs> the system is four and a half inches wide by 13 inches tall by 17 inches deep. So it is deeper. At least it looks long. Yeah. And inside this thing, we have a Gigabyte Z87 Mini ITX motherboard. This is a full-featured motherboard with wireless AC plus Bluetooth, the high-speed Bluetooth. USB 3, it's got a single expansion card slot. It's got two slots of memory, four-phase VRM. will handle overclocking to a certain degree. Nice. I don't recommend it just because, you know, the VRM's only four phases. And if you start pushing a 477K up to, you know, 4.5, <laughs> 4.6 gigahertz, it's going to actually put a lot of stresses on that board, and it won't have any fallover. The case is smaller, so you have to think about airflow. Yes, on top of that, they put in a Cooler Master Sidon water cooling heatsink. Much like the one in my Frankenstein box. Yes. It's a, it's a great cooler. It's not necessarily one of the super high-end all-in-one coolers, but it works great. And if you keep everything at stock speeds, it's never going to give you a problem. And they're quiet at stock speeds especially. Yes. There were, in the review unit, there was a... EVGA Superclock GTX 780. Nice. Which is one step down from the high end. But that is a big card. That's a big card. In a small case. All that was powered by a full-sized ATX power supply. And that's refreshing, too, because a full-sized power supply in a small box like that, that's not real common, although it's getting better. No. You could upgrade the power supply, but if it actually goes out, it's easy to replace. 
And that's one thing that has kept me away from small form factor PCs before, the toasters especially. Mm-hmm. You're well, they really always, stuck. Yeah, yeah it, they use a custom power supply. I have um, my Linux box that's running my network right now here at the house. It uses a, a like an F-series sort of power supply. It's a little square. I can't find a replacement for it. There's a noisy fan in it, so I'm going to have to rip it apart and fix it. Well, it seems like it hasn't been that long since we all seem to have these hand-me-down Dell units that... Were they the 680 GTXs or whatever? And they used the proprietary power supplies up so quick that when you brought them home, you just brought all the dead machines too so you can <laughs> have all the extra power supplies. Yeah. So uh, amazingly, in the Zeus Mini, there is a, a slim slot drive optical drive, which is a DVD burner. The review unit came with a large SSD backed by a 2 terabyte rotational drive. Nice. And that's a trend that I'm happy to say is becoming a standard. You don't need to spend a lot of money on a 480 or bigger SSD, at least not in the time that, you know, we're around. But of course, we said that about the old hard drives and memory back in the day. But you can really, really crutch on a really nice rotational or set of rotational drives in array to array and save so much money and get the performance you need up front with either an MSATA, if your board supports it, or a good SSD. Well, one of my recommendations that I gave on a live stream, actually, was um, basically you have your SSD with your operating system on it. You set up a SIM link to move your user drive or user folder to the rotational drive. And then as you install games, you install it to the rotational drive. Everything is still cached to the SSD, so you have excellent speed as you're playing games and loading games, but you still use that storage space on the rotational drive and by moving the user folder, which is the one that has a lot of reads and writes out of it, you save a lot of read and write cycles on your SSD. You know, I think that's great advice. And there may come a time when rotational drives are much like our VCRs, but at least in the short run, the two, three, four terabyte drive is going to be a great budget-friendly alternative to having a large SSD. I should mention that the review unit was almost $1,900. Ouch. So it's on the upper end of the scale, and really it was the top of the end in terms of hardware you could put into it, features that you could add. Mm-hmm. But that's checking every box, right? You get, I mean, that's a loaded PC, especially for the size. Yeah. I mean, you could put in a, a 240 all-in-one cooler, so you have the dual fan radiator in there. Overkill. And just a little bit. They did put in a lighted fan to keep the motherboard cool, which was nice, especially from an overclocking standpoint. I did put a light overclock on the system and show that, hey, yes, you can overclock this, but more of the performance is going to come from the video card that you pick. Now, as narrow as that machine is, with all that in it and the extra fan, how does it breathe? Does it have good airflow? Yeah, actually, it has great airflow. Um, And I say that because it works in a stacked ventilator sort of way okay and, and that's more of a environmental control system from my college past <laughs> it works in such a way that it pulls cool air from the bottom and there's venting on the side panels on both sides and funnels it out the top there's a nice big grate across the top of the case and that's where all of the heat from the motherboard and any of the components goes out the video card exhausts out the back and it has its own dedicated sort of intake which is one of the vents on the side of the case right the system itself is only four and a half inches wide. That means that your video card is right next to the side of the case. So there's really no air gap there. Same with the power supply. Power supply has the fan on the opposite side to pull in air. Uh, motherboard, it's a little bit smaller, but it gives you room to put in your water cooling system. So 
everything was engaging the side of the case to the point where it was pulling air in and exiting out the top. Well, it's not easy to look at the case and miss those vents because you got the bright green or the bright red venting. Every time I thought there might be an airflow issue, there was a matching vent on the side of the case right where that fan takes place. So some brilliant design. It was put together extremely well, and it was an in-house case design. Oh. So they worked on that, I believe, for about a year, getting the manufacturing right, getting the design correct, and making sure everything fit in there, and also so that it could be put together on an assembly line, which is how CyberPower PC works. Well, we like CyberPower PC because you can get a really good boutique build with a lot of flexibility, not just for budget, but in the parts available for these machines. So it's nice to see the attention to detail and that they're finally developing a full in-house solution. And I think we both agree that this is kind of where the future of PCs is going, especially if you don't want to end up with a Frankenstein build. <laughs> no. And I go into the review and say that this is the form factor is perfect. Looking back on my personal PC, Admittedly, I have an older box, but I do that for stability so I can write my reviews and do photo editing and stuff like that. But I have had an X58 box running a 980X with a single graphics card. I have the ability to run four graphics cards in there, but I just never put in four because, frankly, I didn't need them. There's not a lot of real-world need for four cards, but it sure looks cool. No, it sure looks cool. And admittedly, there's still people out there that put together... I want to say like art boxes, which are four graphics cards, all water-cooled, elaborate tubing, lights, mm -hmm. fan controllers. And these are beautiful systems, and they perform admirably. But you don't necessarily need that for an everyday sort of system. It's more of a, you know, kind of showing off what you can do, and also it, it looks good. Four video cards. <laughs> That's a big flex. <laughs> it is a big flex. Now, the, the Zeus Mini uses a Mini ITX motherboard so it's very small it's very compact the case itself was very compact and it suits itself well to sitting on the side of a desk a tower pc would have to sit under your desk and would take up a fair amount of room but by moving the zeus mini to your desktop and the fact that it's actually really quiet makes it a perfect system for just about anybody you could be a gamer you could be a web surfer you could be a financial advisor you could be just about anybody and still run the system i also mentioned that it's a gaming box. Right. You know, the GTX 780 is kind of the, the dead giveaway because that's a oh, yeah. gaming card. According to CyberPower PC, it's also the sponsored build for three professional gaming leagues. Wow. And that's a pretty high credential there. So my question is, though, $1,900, can you build this thing on a budget? You can. The bottom, I should say the, the cheapest one that you can get is around $650. Oh, that's not bad. That's like the base price. That's going to get you an FM2 style motherboard without a graphics card and a single rotational drive and everything else is included. But for around $850, you can get a Core i3 on an Intel motherboard. Right. Same power supply, an air cooler, which you don't need a water cooler for Core i3, obviously. Mm -hmm. And you can put in a GTX 750 Ti, which is the brand new Maxwell card and actually build a, a fairly nice budget style gaming PC for less than a thousand dollars. Well, I think that's definitely a system that I would look at for recommending. And it sounds like you would recommend it highly too with that review. You should check that out. And that's on hardwareasylum.com. 
Over the weekend of February 28th through March 2nd was the largest LAN party in Canada. Oh, what's that? I believe that is LAN ETS. Oh, nice. Yeah, and our friends at Overclocking TV were on staff or on hand at the Corsair booth doing an overclocking demonstration with the German overclocker, DeBear. Very cool. Yeah, he actually was the guy that uh, made my CPU pot, which was, it's gorgeous. It's still gorgeous. I kind of wish I could get it in nickel plate, but, uh, you know, that's... <laughs> Maybe next time, but still, yeah, we, we use the pot all the time. I was actually invited up to the LAN party. Truffman wanted me to... What? Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, I have to mention that. Scheduling problems prevented me from going, but I was still in attendance virtually. Oh, well, the miracle of modern technology, but I can't even stress how jealous I am that you were involved at all because this is an awesome lamb party. Yeah. But yep. it is an awful long ways away from our home base here in Idaho. Yes. Well, let's see. For, I don't know, what was the cheapest airfare I found was like $500. Then you get a little hotel and taxi ride. So it kind of adds up to to be able to go to an event like that. But the fact that you are surrounded by thousands of actual gamers playing game or league games and an on-site overclocking demonstration with one of the top overclockers in the world and one of the top overclocking streamer guys, Mr. Trufman. Excellent. So tell me about it. Well, let's see. They set up the booth and they were going, they were playing to live stream it and they were, they had it set up or I should say Trufman had it set up to show the screen so mm -hmm. you could actually see the benchmark in action and then he had three cameras set up around the booth to show different angles very nice well they also broadcast it on twitch tv i definitely want to talk about that but first what kind of hardware are we talking about let's see we're talking about z87 motherboards and one of i should say a very very special golden cpu a 4670k that would run 6.4 gigahertz. Holy cow. Now that's a i5 Haswell, right? Yeah, it's a Haswell i5. No hyper-threading. So it's four cores. It's kind of the cheap chips of the overclocking And I'm sorry, version. how fast again? 6.4 gigahertz. Wow. That is a very special processor. Yep. Well, all right. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I should mention that they also had a modified video card with a EVGA Untouchables modded to it. Ooh, And they nice. set a couple of world records with that one during the event, which was quite nice. Terrific. Well, I have just started playing with Twitch, but how did that work out for you guys? Tell me more about that. Okay, well, this is, um, this is interesting because they, they streamed two days. The very first day, they brought up their broadcast, and I was sitting there kind of watching it. I'm just sitting in the background going, all right, let's see what's going on. Um, I tuned in. I, I want to admit I was like about five minutes after they started the broadcast. It made it to the front page of Twitch TV, and they had over 2,000 people watching it. Very nice. Unfortunately, those 2,000 people were somewhat ignorant and belligerent, saying, <laughs> why the heck is this on Twitch? What the heck are they doing? Asking just about every sort of question in the book. Well, if it's not Dota or StarCraft, I guess it, it doesn't really count, right? No, it doesn't really count, right? So I started typing in chat, explaining what it is that they're doing. So I'm trying to be helpful and actually keep the the conversations sane and then i started messaging truthman saying hey you need to get on camera and we need to start talking to these people because we have a golden opportunity of a lot of people watching right now right 
And this is the only way those are actually going to perpetuate and become a big thing. So I take it you got a hold of him? I got a hold of him, and he got on, on camera. But by then, a lot of the damage was done because he had technical issues. And um, I think they were down to about 500 before we actually got text, ah. you know, voice on camera. And a couple hours later, we had hooked up to do a Skype call. So I set up the Yeti mic on my desktop PC. Nice. And I had the Twitch TV running. Basically called him on Skype. And he put me on the live stream. Very nice. So for the the remainder of that first day, I was answering questions live that were asked in chat and basically responding to what video was showing on screen. And how'd it go? Went really, really well, actually. So much, in fact, that the next day, Truthman set it up to actually do a live overclocking show. So when he started it, he was on camera because he kind of saw that the, the benefit of having someone on camera explaining what was going on. You know, at one point the day before, they were changing setup. So I actually interviewed Roman saying, hey, well, how did you set it up? What did you do for insulation? And, you know, basically talked about the build. And it was a nice, I don't know, 10-minute interview, I guess. And then kind of let him get back to his thing. It was kind of the NASCAR world. It's interviewing the driver, right? Right. So next day, Truthman starts up the stream. And it once again makes the front page of Twitch. And this time, you guys are ready. He was ready. And for like two hours, he had over a thousand people watching and actually interacting in chat while he was answering questions live. And then I called in via the same Skype call and took over so that he could actually do things around the booth. And for the next, I want to say four hours, I was on there talking and we had an average of 500 plus viewers watching and I'm going to say a good 30 people or so engaged in chat. Oh, what a great opportunity. Can we go back and watch it now? Well, everything was recorded. Uh, I'm sure Truthman is actually editing the footage as we speak, or hoping as we speak. So there should be a highlight reel posted on the Overclocking TV YouTube channel and probably also available on Twitch. Well, true. What a great opportunity to showcase our knowledge here at Hardware Asylum and to really get I guess, a foothold in the door on Twitch for overclocking TV. Yeah. I'm hoping that if they can keep the same format, that like the MOA that will happen sometime in the future will actually follow the same format. And we should have at least the same amount of viewers, if not more, actually watching a real overclocking competition in real time with like views of the screen going on, either one or two people on camera talking about it. Nice. Things going on. And maybe take um, an approach where we have scores being analyzed in real time. So we can actually watch a Super Pi score being run in real time and then compare it to like the current leader saying, oh, well, they're a half a second behind. Oh, they got an extra half a second here. Something like that. Well, that would definitely make it more accessible to the folks that are just getting started or maybe this is their first exposure to overclocking in general. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to see where that takes us. Yeah, so am I. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on HardwareAsylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS, now available on iTunes. Join us on Facebook or follow us on Google. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2014. Thanks for listening.